So, forming resilient children. Um, this is so important when I began writing this book. This is only the book in 2018. I had sort of divided the world of children into two groups. Those who had experienced hardship, adversity, trauma, something. It hit some walls. And those who had good enough families, good enough churches, good enough schools, good enough neighborhoods. Everything was pretty well okay. Since COVID, every child in the world has really hit some walls. And they may not have been life and death walls. Uh, but they are walls. Some kids have just, you know, they've lost a grandparent or a parent. 140,000 children have lost a parent in the United States to COVID. I did not know that. I thought it would be 20,000, 140,000. So they've lost a parent to COVID. So um, this book really is for all children. All children face some adversity. Even if it's just bullying, and you think, well, just bullying. Bullying can be pretty bad. Um, so that's why this is really for everybody. Um, as you know, some children can, I, I grew up with some kids, I had a friend who had 17 brothers and sisters. They had like a three-bedroom house. It was a hard situation. Um, there were, as I said, 17. Uh, the two oldest were in their 30s, but I knew most of those 17 kiddos. And I grew up with her, she was in our church, and I watched her through adulthood. About half of those kids, did really well. Uh, a lot, enough factors were going well in their life that they managed well enough. The other half didn't do quite as well, but they actually, all, all of them, managed to get through better than you might think. Um, the question is, why do some children come through such difficult circumstances, overcoming even severe adversity remarkably well, while other children remain fragile into adulthood? Why is that? I mean, if you've not ever asked that exactly, you have asked it internally. You look at their family and you go, my goodness, how, how are they managing? And, or you look at them and you go, yeah, well, that makes sense. What is it? Why do some children seem to come through amazingly well? So I've been looking at the resilience literature 40, 50 years. It's been a, a particular slice of uh, the psychology world a literature. And... Um, this woman recently has produced a book called Ordinary Magic, I think. And she has done an overview, kind of a meta-analysis of all of the studies of children and adversity and resilience, the resilience literature. And so I'm going to give you the 10 factors that she has put together for us. These are, after looking at pretty much all the literature, she's saying these factors seem to be what makes a difference in a child's life. Now, the first one's gonna be capable parenting, and I'm just gonna go ahead and warn you right now. If you are a capable parent, it doesn't guarantee that your child will be resilient. I'm just telling you, these are not one-on-one. -on -one. I'm just saying that can be a buffer for your child, and that's true for all of these. So I would like to say I could guarantee it, but you know, can't, can't be done. So capable parenting, you've got this on your list. And what she means and what the literature says is a parent who listens well, a parent who carries the weight. And you know what I mean by that. And I tell you, as I listen and speak on this, I think of those parents in Ukraine right now, the parents in Mariupol. There are still children in that steel plant. What are their parents doing? How are they carrying the weight? And they must carry that weight for those children. Uh, they can't tell those children everything. Uh, are we gonna get out? We hope so. Are you sure? No, I'm not sure. You have to tell the truth. 
but you say, God is with us, he is present. That's what you say. That is true. You can say that. And you carry that weight. And your children rest in you, and they rest in God. So capable parenting won't guarantee it, but that's what we are aiming for, all of us. Sometimes, even if parents aren't quite as present as they need to be, other close relationships with adults, and as you know, grandparents can make a huge difference. I read this week that for children raised in uh, fairly um, punitive, harsh environments, especially said with a harsh, punitive mother, if they have a good relationship with a grandmother who is warm and loving, it can overcome a lot of that. That was very encouraging for me, very encouraging. So uh, close relationships with other adults, sometimes grandparents, but it can be other people, your Sunday school teacher, your choir director, your coach, can make a big difference. Close friends, romantic partners, children are 18 and uh, under 18, so you know, in high school. And I know more than one couple who's, who's, who met in high school and the boy led the girl to Christ or vice versa, and it was a strength for them, they had, had a hard background, and that was important for them. But close friends can make a difference. I didn't know this until my 50th class reunion. One of my high school friends, friends since third grade, said, when I came to your house, I felt safe. I didn't know that. I know her dad had been captured during World War II and had been tortured, and uh, he came back from World War II pretty messed up, and he really took it out on the kids. And I didn't know that when she was at my house, she felt safe. At fifth grade, you don't. You don't have those conversations. Oh, you know, I feel safe at your house. But she told me 50 years later, 60 years later. So they can make a difference. Um, now I'm going to enter into another little piece. You think, okay, so if a child's intelligent, they're going to be more resilient. Not necessarily. I wish she had not used this word because it leaves the impression that, you know, if you're smarter, you're more resilient. Not necessarily. So what she means by that is the sense that you look at something and say, how can we figure this out? Uh, problem solving, and you can see why you would be more resilient if you look at a problem and you say, let's figure it out, so instead of saying, there's nothing we can do. Um, so that's what she means. Um, Self-control, emotional regulation. Um, children who overreact to everything tend not to be as resilient. Those who are able to hold it together emotionally more um, calm, and that makes sense. And you're thinking, yeah, but kids come the way they are. You can't really make that change, and that's true. So we're not going to have as much control over what we can do about that unless we talk about at least modeling. Some of these we can affect, others we cannot. Motivation to succeed. Some kids just come into the world saying, I'm making a way. One of the children whose parent, whose mother was incarcerated, when we first met her, they said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And she said, I'm going to go to Yale and I'm going to be a lawyer. She was 11. I did not know there was a Yale when I was 11. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that kid was moving on. She was not living with any living relative. Her mother was in prison. Her father had died the year before of a drug overdose. They were living with family friends. This girl at 11 said, I'm going to make it. Now, most kids don't arrive like that. I think she came this way. Again, we can't necessarily create that in children. Uh, some great self-confidence, self-efficacy can make a way for themselves. Um, and in situations where the home life is not good, hard things are happening, effective schools can make a difference. Some of you who've been in the teaching world, you can make the difference for a child. I believe in you. You're going to make it. Um, so, um, and sometimes in schools, you find your place in the choir, on the football team, or somewhere in the art world. You find a place. You've not had a place before, and you find a place. Um, effective communities. And you think, well, 
how can effective communities help kids be resilient? If you live out on a farm and there's a tornado that comes through and wipes out your farm, your family lives, but everything's wiped out. If there's a town nearby that's willing to help, your school's there, your church is there, your bank is there, everything wasn't wiped out. So your community can come around you and help you. Now, in situations like Katrina, everything was wiped out. It was very hard. To, you think of Haiti and how devastating it was in 2010-ish. And then again, this past couple of years, they had another hurricane. When all the structure is torn down, it's very hard for anyone to be resilient. So um, that's what we mean by effective communities. They can come around you. Now, I have a blank on your sheet. This is where churches fit. Churches can make all the difference. My husband and I were talking about a family that we knew that grew up in my hometown church. There were six kids in that family. Hi, Stan. <laughs> Good to see you. Um, six kids grew up in that family. Um, the dad was the town drunk. That family, that mom, brought her six kids to church every single time they were there. The oldest boy went blind when he was like 14. Their house burned down when they were, I don't know, somewhere in there. Everything you can imagine happened to that family. And that mom said, we're here, we're going to be part of this church. And they were. And I know all those kids today, um, they are moving on. They are making it. Not every single one of them, but four out of the six. That church made a huge difference in their life. Um, it, was, it was amazing. They needed them. My dad was an elder there. He would go pick them up when their car was broken down. He would bring them. That church made a huge difference for them. So that can be an effective community for those children. Surprise, surprise, in this secular literature, it shows up. Aren't you just singing? Faith, hope, and the belief that life has meaning. I put it last. She didn't put it last because that's where we're going to park the rest of the time. Um, when children have a strong belief that there is a God who knows them and cares about them, it helps them be resilient makes sense to us, but everybody doesn't know that. If you believe that tomorrow can be better, that how bad things are right now won't remain forever, that can help you be resilient. This sounds like Christianity. Um, and the belief that life has meaning, you can hang on if you know ultimately you're going to be able to look back and say, I grew from this. I, I hurt and it was awful. But good things have come. God has been at work. Life has meaning. This is not just endless nothingness. That can help you be resilient. This is, all this is true for all of us. This is not just for children, as you well know. But this encouraged me so much that the studies that they have done, often with children who had grown up, what made a difference in your life? You know, they've gone through whatever they've gone through. And they would, they, one particular study stood out to me. It was in Hawaii. started in 1955, and they followed 600 children. <clears throat> These were from a very poor area of one of the islands, and about 200 of them were considered at risk at the beginning. And so they followed those, they followed all 600, but they followed those 200. And about two-thirds of them were having ongoing issues as they got into their teens and in their 20s and into their 30s. And they began, you know, documenting all these problems. And then finally someone said, um, why don't we look at the other third? And they did. And they said, you are doing well. Tell me what your home life was like. Tell me what your community was like. Tell me about your life. And they did. And so you see, these factors come from that kind of thing. So what made a difference for those 200? Uh, those 200? No, it was a third, a third of the 200. So 66. What made a difference? And some of these showed up there. Okay, now some of these we cannot fix. We cannot make them more 
uh, motivated to succeed. Children come certain ways. Of these, which can we affect? Well, certainly the last one we can help with. Uh, oh, by the way, this is Shelley Melia, and she's looked at a lot of the same literature. She has grouped it into five smaller uh, subcategories, uh, sub and I'm going to look at the first one first. External factors would be effective schools and effective communities, so something outside the kid. Um, internal assets. That would be self-control, emotional regulation, problem solving, motivation to succeed, self-confidence, self-efficacy, those grouped in the middle there, those internal pieces. We can encourage, but we can't be quite as instrumental in making those happen, but it's good to watch for and good to promote. Familial dy uh, dynamics, of course, this is the parenting and the grandparenting. We can teach and we can be that for children, but we can also teach about that. I just finished an eight-week parenting course on this material just for parents at Harpeth Hills where we um, worship and I've never had a more attentive audience in my life. I've taught this material to my college students and they're like okay yeah. and these parents were like <laughs> I mean it was life what can we do so that our children will be resilient and of course they've just come out of two years of COVID too so they're really paying attention. Uh, relationships and connectedness this also can be family, but it's all the other relationships. We in our churches can make a huge difference here. Um, this is a place that we can connect in. And then with faith, spirituality. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? We're going to lean into that right now. What do I mean? How can we nurture children? We say, well, teach them the Bible. Yes. Yes, of course. There's a way to do this in a way that they enter that story. It is their story. It becomes their story. We'll do something with that in a moment. I would say that my definition, do I have it on there? Children's spirituality, oh, there are three other factors. Let's go ahead. She didn't have this in her 10, but I want to put it, a deep sense of belonging can make a difference in resilience for children. And our churches and our families can make a huge difference. Even if your family's falling apart, you can belong. You need to be able to come in and say, this is where I belong. I know this is my place. A deep sense of belonging identity. Who am I? I'm a child of God. That's who I am. That will always be true. You may not always be a child in a family. Your parents may die. You may not always be a wife or a husband. You may not always be a mother or a father. If your children die. You will always be a child of God. That's an identity that never changes. If they can leave our children's ministry and our homes and our churches knowing that, that's foundational. This can be a resilience factor. Of course, it's a wonderful factor in our relationship with God. Ability to trust is one of the things that gets in the way of a lot of things. Um, kids who've been damaged early, how can we help rebuild a sense of trust? These we can affect. We can make a difference. Here's my working definition of children's spirituality. It's on your, on your paper. A quality present in every child from birth out of which children seek to establish relationship with self, others, and with God. Um, this is different than what you've probably seen before. I view faith development as this understanding, I believe in God, I believe these things are true. I view spirituality as relational. Who is that God that I believe in? He is the God who loves me and knows me and cares about me. So I believe, I think children are born with this. All children are born seeking that God who made them, seeking relationships with us, and wanting to know who they are. Little bitty, it's hard to see that. But it won't be long before they're, they're trying to say, who am I? They don't say it in that language. 
but they do eventually get around to it, especially if we can encourage it. So what we do today, we'll be leaning into how are we nurturing that sense of self? Who am I under God? Um, who are you? You know, I'm an I. I have feelings. I have a self. I have um, volition. God has called me. It's not. I'm not just a generic person. I'm me. Um, and he's called you, and he's called you, and he's called you. You are a self. You are a person he's called. You are someone who is loved, like I am someone who is loved. And with God, who is this God that I keep studying about? knowing? Who is he to me? Who is he to you? Who is he in this world? How does he know me? If we can do this, we can nurture resilience. We can also nurture a life of faith and all the things that go with that. We're going to focus here. We're going to do three or four activities together. And after each one, we'll say, which of these is it mostly nurturing? And some, it's doing all three. Some, it's more one than the other. But you can take these back and use them anytime. Um, the premise of this class is that resilience and children's spirituality are interconnected. That's my one little point today. So I want to show you a COVID meltdown. This is a little four-year-old girl named Blake. And uh, she's having a COVID meltdown. This was in, filmed in July of 2020. Hopefully it will work, and Elliot is here in case it doesn't. Because um, this illustrates parents being capable, attentive, listening parents to a child who's not coping very well right now. And I, nothing I have seen has shown me what I'm talking about better than this. Yeah, but but the real church is here's academy, and you get to get candy and toys. If you have a big number, you can get two. 
partner up with and share how these parents are promoting resilience in their response to her. So just note some things they're doing very well. Conversation or a conversation like it because she brought up a lot of facts that clearly they talked about. Oh, they'd already, they already knew. They've been processing with her. This wasn't the first time. Mm -hmm. They've been processing. She knew some things. What else? There was the physical touch. I love that. She said, It's hard. And you know, it was hard. At all the levels, it was hard. We all know it wasn't like they're doing in Mariupol right now when that kind of hard. But you remember those first few weeks? It felt pretty scary. What else? I think they acknowledged um, her, her list of things by adding on, well, church, too. I yeah. mean, they're, they're kind of like, yeah, you're right. You know, also church is not yeah. meeting in person. So. They didn't negate it all. Like, look, really, everything's not shut down. The hospitals are open. The police are open. <laughs> they, they said, it is hard in church. So they entered her work. You know? So caring. I love that. That just represents for me how this can be done. And then they moved on. It's just going to be a while. And, you know, she kind of made up this kind of strange little way of the germs and everything. It wasn't really logical. But they didn't say, that's not exactly right. And then later, Dad said, why are we doing this? People to be safe. So he helped her understand at her level what was happening um, without too dense an explanation and without negating her particular version of things. Just love it. If you want to show it sometime, it's Blake COVID, and you'll find it. It's on everywhere. She's four. She's in California where it takes place. Okay, we're going to do a couple things. Um, how can we intentionally nurture? We just did one. I'm going to introduce you to Vizio Divina. You may know Vizio Divina, but if not, this will be your opportunity. Uh, Lectio Divina is when you read scripture and listen and think and dwell. Vizio Divina is similar. You enter into a painting or a picture or some uh, representation of um, something theological or biblical or spiritual. I have chosen, um, this is Rembrandt's The Returning Son, The Prodigal Son. Uh, this is Rublev's uh, Icon of the Trinity. And this is, I think Rembrandt's 
painting of a storm. And you could use any of these, but you can find whatever you want. And allowing children and you, I've done this with adults, college students, and with children, to enter in. So do this with me. We'll take about three minutes on this. This is the painting we're going to enter in. I'll give you a little information. This was painted in the 1400s, early 1400s. Uh, it represents the three visitors to Abraham, who we have understood over the years to represent God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, whether that's exactly what he meant or not, we aren't sure, but um, the colors are so vibrant, uh, the understanding of which one is which. Um, the most important thing, I think, is they say, they believe that there was a mirror here originally in the, in the real painting, so that you are invited to the table. You are invited to the table. So, um, Close your eyes. I want you to breathe and clear your mind. Hello. Clear your mind. Ask God to enter this time of prayer with us. And I ask, oh God, that you help us enter this and that we see something new about who you are, who you are in our lives. Okay, open your eyes and look upon this whole image. Gaze upon all of it, allowing it to draw an emotion or a word or an image in your heart. What do you hear God whispering into your heart? What thoughts or questions is this image raising? What do you feel? Choose a particular piece of the painting to look at. A hand or a table or a face. Choose something and focus there. Close your eyes and rest with that particular piece or the larger one. Imagine yourself invited to this table. Rest in God's presence. Okay, I hate to draw you out of that. I'd like to leave you there for 10 minutes. But we're going to do two more things. You can do this with children. You might or might not want to use this image. But God speaks to children as he speaks to you. Uh, you can ask them to share or not. I usually don't. Sometimes I allow my students to journal. But it is a way of nurturing what relationship primarily? God, uh, child self, child others, child God. It, this is mostly child God. I can see it also possibly being God revealing something about themselves. You have not felt invited to the table. I'm inviting. You can see how that would bless a child. 
The second thing uh, that I want to share uh, would be children's books. I want to share two quickly with you and share with you what to do. Any book, almost any book will do. But this is A Splendid Friend Indeed, one of my current favorites. It's about, it's one of uh, Suzanne Bloom's Goose and Bear stories. Here's Goose and Polar Bear here. And Goose comes up to Polar Bear. What are you reading? I like to read. Do you want to hear me read? Now what are you doing? Are you writing? I like to write. You want to see me write? What are you doing now? Are you thinking? Thinking makes me hungry. Are you hungry? I think I'll go make a snack. I'm back. I made a snack. I wrote a note. I'll read it to you. I like you. Indeed I do. You are my splendid friend. Thank you. I like you too. Indeed I do. You are my splendid friend. My splendid friend indeed. Who are you in the story? If you ask your child as young as three, they know who they are in the story. And they might also say, and my brother, he's the goose, or whatever. Uh, eventually, if you ask your child, who are you in the story, they will begin to ask, who are you in the story? You can see how that conversation will nurture that child's relationship with others and self. Others primarily. But they're coming to know themselves. They're naming things about themselves and others. But it's, it's primarily that others piece. Ordinary. Ordinary. You can do it coming and going. You don't have to go study to, to, do, to know how to do this. But you're already nurturing those pieces of child. <coughs> I brought this just as a one-minute uh, idea for you. This is Story of a Storm. These were fifth-grader children who drew and wrote about Katrina. They all lived on the Mississippi coast, no, the Gulf Coast in Mississippi, and uh, they wrote about what happened, and it was published. And so here are their, st their stories. The storm was coming. The animals knew. We knew. We tried to make our houses safe. And then it goes ahead and tells what happens. Many of their houses were destroyed. They lived in FEMA housing for a while. Um, this would be a good group activity to do after your church or a church has experienced something. Like na last year in, uh, around Nashville, we had a tornado. Where was the town that was really, really hurt? Cookville? What? Where was it? Mount Juliet. Mount Juliet was hit. And several churches were hit. So it would be a good thing for children to write something like this and illustrate it, even if you don't get it published. 
It's just a good way to process what's happening. We all felt this. This can be done with all of our, they make little books now, you know, down at Walgreens, so you can do this. That was free. The last thing we're going to do, we have just the right amount of time, uh, we are going to learn how to bless each other. I have long believed in the power of blessing, the power of parents blessing their children, elders blessing their flock, teachers blessing their students. We in Churches of Christ, have that's not been one of our strengths. We've not known how to do that well. Um, can we learn how to bless one another? Yes, we can. I've given each of you half a sheet of paper. Um, you are going to be blessing your partner. And I have the man in red back here. Would you come up here and be partner for him? Yes. Person right, yes, you. Yes. Um, he needs a partner and bring your sheet with you. So uh, I would, you, would like for you to read through your blessings, and they're different sets of blessings, and uh, speak a blessing over your partner. So we'll take a couple minutes on this. Go right ahead and start with I hope you have been able to read your blessing. It's been sweet, sweet to see you. And I have a blessing for you. Um, hope is one of those pieces the resilience world. And our family was uh, in a situation about 25 years ago where we were deeply wounded, um, great loss. And I remember just feeling hopeless. And a verse that I learned as a child, I suppose, came to mind. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I began to say that verse out loud every day. And I said it for two years. I needed hope as much as I needed air to breathe. Uh, hope held me, hope in God. So that's a blessing that I, I always share wherever I go and I have my hope rocks. And I'm gonna give them to some people. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. So you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Miriam. Find blessings that you can speak over people. It will hold them. It will bless them in ways that you have never seen in your life. I speak this blessing over my students at the end of every semester and every class. Some of my students have six rocks 